0: Yesterday, on our special Action Steps episode of The Breakdown Live, I unpacked and explained some of the things that I believe we can and should still be fighting for in the name of Brianna Taylor. I believe there are actually clear paths to being able to still hold these officers responsible, and there's some real change that we can fight for in her name. Let me unpack and explain it. Listen. All is not lost. These battles are never easy. And I've seen families sometimes have to fight not for months, which is what we've been fighting for, but for years before they actually got a breakthrough. Let's keep fighting. Let me unpack and explain some action steps, some principles and policies and changes that we can all be fighting for. This is Sean King. You are listening to The the, the Breakdown. The Breakdown. The the, the Breakdown. The the, the Breakdown. Again, just a quick reminder that the audio you're about to listen to is the audio of my live broadcast of The Breakdown that I do every single Thursday on Twitch at twitch.tv slash the breakdown. I felt like the time we spent was too important for you to not hear it, I want you to hear these action steps. Here we go. What does justice look like for Breonna Taylor? What does it look like today versus yesterday or last week? And if you listen to uh, the breakdown podcast, you've probably heard me say this. I think in some ways, when we talk about police violence and police brutality. I have used the word justice for most of my life. I'm 41. And when I've been talking about any case, I can go all the way back to 1999 when when I was a college student fighting back against police brutality. And we always used the word justice. In 1999, we were saying we wanted justice for Amadou Diallo. But the truth is, I I think the word is okay. but I want to start here. Uh, to in some ways adjust our expectations and our understanding when we use the word justice. In 1999, there could be no justice for Amadou Diallo. Amadou Diallo was shot 41 times by the NYPD on the doorstep of his home. Amadou is dead. I say that as somebody who who worships the ground his his dear mother Kadiatu walks on. Uh, I've done events with her and for her and for the family. There can be no justice for Amadou. Uh, I, I heard someone on the radio yesterday. I, I was uh, in the car with my son, taking him to an appointment, and um, someone yesterday said that it was a bad day for Brianna Taylor. And I'm thinking, even my son, my son heard it, and he was like, "Dad, what? Why do they say that? Brianna Taylor is dead. Like, do you understand? There is no justice for Brianna." they killed this woman. And so the, the best definition of justice that I could ever give you is the scale. If you've ever seen the, the classic image of the balanced scales. And so when they murdered Brianna, the scale was tipped in a horrible way. Now, giving Brianna's family a settlement, a financial settlement, that doesn't e- that doesn't even the scale. I know Brianna's mother Tamika, I know her sister, her aunt, I know her boyfriend Kenny. They would trade any of that money just to have Brianna back and for this never to have happened. So it's not really justice that when we call for police officers to be charged and arrested, that doesn't balance the scale. In a lot of ways, we've been using the word justice which is really about how do we balance the scale? When we talk about arresting police officers, what we're really talking about is accountability. We want the people who murdered Brianna. We want the people who falsified that warrant. And I'll unpack that some more in just a second. We want the people who shot her, who shot at her. There's a a lot to unpack here. And there was a lot that we learned yesterday from the press conference with Kentucky Attorney General Daniel Cameron. There can be no justice. That's that's the word we use. But what we're really calling for is for accountability. Justice would be for us to not even know Breonna Taylor's name. Justice would be for her to be at work right now as an essential worker, as a paramedic. Justice would be her and Kenny being on the brink of getting married. Justice would be her just having a good day with her mother and her sister and her family. That's justice. And unless you can give me that back, we can fight to try to balance the scales. We can try to do that. But what we're really asking for is accountability. We're saying, listen, since you can't bring her back, Let me let me even get biblical for a second. You know, I I was a pastor for many years and and in the Old Testament, you know, there are there are scriptures that talk about uh, an eye for an eye. You take my eye. I take your eye. You take my arm. I take your arm. You take my daughter. I take your daughter. That was an Old Testament version of justice. It's like, "Oh, you do this. We're going to balance the scale. You take my arm, I take yours." Well, listen, Brianna Taylor's mother, Tamika, Tamika's not calling for someone else to be murdered. She, she really just wants her daughter back. But in the absence of that being possible, that's not possible. And she doesn't want anybody else's daughter. She's calling for accountability. And today... I want to talk to us about how I think that accountability is still possible. I know that yesterday looked like the door is closed, but I really don't think it is. Um, I really do believe that there are multiple ways for us to be able to to still have a pathway to accountability for the officers who shot and killed Brianna to still be held accountable? Are you following me? I just want to make sure that you're still with me and you're understanding where I'm going here. I, I don't have time to unpack today all of the deep details of, of how we got here, but if you listen to the Instagram live that I did from last night, or if you listen to the Breakdown podcast from earlier today, I talk about how Breonna Taylor in many ways, first and foremost, is a victim of a wider system of the war on drugs. And I put air quotes around that, the war on drugs. The war on drugs, as we know, has never really been a war on drugs. It's always been a war on people. And it's particularly been a war on black people. In no one has suffered more, not drugs, no other people, no one has suffered more from the war on drugs than African-Americans. And I even unpack that in my book and say, when the, when the war on drugs was started, the Nixon administration openly said that this was never about drugs, but it was always about oppression and pushing back against the rising political power of African-Americans. And if you've ever heard me unpack this on the breakdown podcast, I say in great detail that these no knock warrants where they raid people's homes in the middle of the night while they're sleeping, police don't do that in the zip codes they live in. They don't do that in their neighborhoods. They don't do that to their cousins or grandchildren or mothers. They don't do that. They do these midnight raids when people are asleep They do those almost exclusively in black and brown communities. That's true in Louisville and it's true in your city and state. And at the root of the war on drugs is not some compassionate feeling about wanting people to be healed from drug addiction. That's where you get treatment. This is about punishment. It's about a punitive form of oppression. And what we understand is that there are many specific people who were and are responsible for the murder of Breonna Taylor. And I think you have to start, first and foremost, with who falsified the warrant that even gave police officers permission to be in her home, as you've probably heard me unpack here before. On the warrant, it says that Louisville's postmaster general said that Drugs were being mailed in and out of Brianna Taylor's home. Well, Louisville's postmaster general went on the record as soon as that warrant was made public and said, I never said that. And he not only said, I never said that the Louisville's postmaster general went on to say, no one else could say that but me. He said there is no other postmaster general other than Louisville's postmaster general who could tell you that. And he said, not only did I not tell you that, but we had no evidence that anything like that was ever happening. And when they did raid Brianna's home, and I've actually seen the, the literal crime scene photos, they tore that home up. One, there are bullet holes everywhere. They're uh, sorry to be graphic, but there is blood everywhere. And they tore everything up. Desperately, I mean, police were desperate to look for a a particle, a speck of anything illegal, and they could not find a thing. Not only were was there no drugs being mailed in and out of her home, the postmaster general said it never happened. There were no drugs in her home. There was nothing illegal in her home. Both Brianna and Kenny don't even have criminal records. Neither one of them even broke a law, not before that or on that evening. They did nothing wrong. Even when Kenny shot at police, they were plainclothes officers who broke into his home in the middle of the night with a falsified warrant. He didn't even know they were police. Hell, when Kenny called 911, he still didn't know it was police. They clearly shot and then got the hell out of there. There are a lot of questions. But let me explain some, and I want to spend the next 35 minutes really unpacking the action steps that I think we can take, and I'll take all of your questions as well. Hey, everybody, we'll finish the episode in just a moment, but I want to share a quick word from one of our favorite sponsors. Listen, if you're an OG listener here on The Breakdown, then you've heard me talk all about my Helix Sleep mattress It's so quality. It's so comfortable. It's one of the favorite things that I have in the entire house. Now, Helix has gone beyond the bedroom to make premium, customizable sofas. They've got armchairs and love seats all the way up to an eight-seat sectional. So there's something for everyone. And the website is super easy to navigate. And my sofa arrived, actually, just within a few days. I love it. To find your perfect sofa, check out allform.com slash breakdown. Right now they're offering up to 20% off of all orders just for our listeners at allform.com slash breakdown. So head on over, find your perfect sofa and let us know what you think. It's a great company. They're doing great things and they've been a big supporter of the breakdown. So There is a lot that can still happen. And I want to give you some hope right now. Now, let me let me be very honest to say that it is always difficult to get accountability for brutal police officers, even in the worst cases. Uh, You may remember that no one was held accountable for the murder of Philando Castile what I think is one of perhaps the most egregious police murders in our lifetime. No one was held accountable. No one was held accountable for murdering uh, Tamir Rice. No one was held accountable for murdering Eric Garner. I say that to say accountability is always difficult, but it is my responsibility. It's the responsibility of the grassroots law project it's the responsibility of my friends at uh, Until Freedom, who I love and am, am so very grateful for their dedication and hard work. My friends at Until Freedom literally moved their offices and headquarters to Louisville, and they're still there fighting for justice for, uh, for this family and for accountability for this family. And, and we all know that justice and accountability is always hard to come by. But let me unpack what I think some steps are that we can take. And then even let me give us some suggestions as well of some things that I think we should consider first and foremost. okay. and if you want to if you want to take notes uh, and if some of you would, if you don't mind, those of you who are note takers who are here in the uh, in the chat, if you would write these points in the chat uh, for other people that will see this later, uh, that would help me. And it would help me as well. If you could write these points, number one, uh, in his press conference yesterday, Daniel Cameron made clear that there is a federal civil rights investigation that is ongoing. Now I know when we hear federal civil rights investigation, uh, the first thing that we think is, Oh, That's being led by Donald Trump and the Trump administration. The there is a level of truth to that. But the FBI agent in charge of this investigation, the, the DOJ team in charge of this investigation is the same team that investigated the police murder of Walter Scott. You may remember Walter Scott was shot in Charleston, South Carolina, By a police officer in his back. And that uh, officer was arrested and convicted because of the federal investigation. And the same team that led that investigation is leading this investigation. Now, I will say. It is highly unlikely because Donald Trump is in in an election year and, and we're only 40 days away from election day. I don't expect that federal investigation to be completed in the, the first term of Trump's administration. So that federal investigation is most likely going to happen in one of two places. Heaven forbid this first thing, a second term of a Trump administration or a first term of a Joe Biden, Kamala Harris administration. Now, it is my belief that it is more likely that this federal investigation could lead to federal civil rights charges. When you have a federal investigation, they are not investigating death and murder, okay? They are not investigating manslaughter, wanton endangerment, Th- their investigation is were Brianna Taylor's civil rights violated and i think as you could imagine there is a very very clear argument to make that Brianna Taylor's civil rights her what that really means is were her constitutional rights violated in that moment was she given due process of course not She committed no crime. She was unarmed and nonviolent. And let me now interject something that Daniel Cameron said yesterday. I think he, I think he exposed a major hole in this case and, and, and listen to this very closely because this is going to be very important for several additional points that I'm about to make. Daniel Cameron said yesterday that because Brianna's boyfriend, Kenny fired a shot at the officers that they were justified in firing back now legally. Now, let me first say in defense of Kenny, who I know and love and respect and Kenny's family and my family have known each other. Kenny, part of Kenny's family is from my hometown of Versailles, Kentucky. And we've known each other since I was kid, since I was a child. And let me say Kenny was not, Kenny did not break a law. And that's why they dropped the charges against Kenny. Uh, the judge released Kenny. I know that judge. He's a great man, Judge Olu Stevens in Louisville. They dropped those charges against Kenny because Kenny stood his ground and fired back at what he thought was an intruder. So, I, but I'm not here to talk about Kenny, but legally, and I've studied this not just I've studied it for years, but I've studied it at great length in reference to Brianna's case. Legally, there is a very good argument that when police entered the home and were fired upon and they were fired upon and, and understand that when police entered the home, they did have a warrant. Now I I started this off by saying that it appears from every indication that that warrant was illegally obtained. But from all the information that I have, it was not illegally obtained by any of the three officers who fired their guns. They were not, as far as we understand, a part of the warrant process. So they were given an illegally obtained, in essence, false warrant. Based on false information. Also remember, the man they at first claimed that they were there to look for and for weeks claimed they were there to look for a man who did not live there, had not lived there and had already been arrested. So everything, every pretense that they had for that warrant was false. But the police officers now, we don't know if they knew that or not. They had a warrant signed by a judge. It had false information and all of that. And that that is a criminal Act as well. Whoever falsified the information in that warrant committed a crime. They should have been charged yesterday. Now, Daniel Cameron said he is leaving that up to the federal investigation. I don't know why. They committed a local crime. They lied under oath. They falsified information. That's a state crime. Uh, He did not have to leave that up to the feds. It's actually wrong that he did that. Someone else, either locally in Louisville, or in the state could file charges if they chose to in that crime that was committed, the falsification of that evidence. But the officers who entered the home did so with a warrant that was signed by a judge. And when they entered the home, they were fired upon and an officer was hit in his thigh. And I, and to to be frank, I saw the blood of the officer all where he got shot. He got shot and injured. He did. There is a legal argument that police officers at that moment had the legal right to fire back at the person who shot them. Daniel Cameron said yesterday, this is why we have to see the minutes from the grand jury. Daniel Cameron said yesterday that when they broke into the home, They saw, he said, they saw Kenny with the gun. Then the officer said he felt himself get shot. Then they started shooting. Now, let me speak it in very plain terms. And I said this in a tweet and I posted this on Instagram yesterday. If person A, okay, if person A does something, That makes officers A, B, and C fear for their lives. Officers A, B, and C do have a legal right to act out in response to person A directed toward person A. But if person A, are you following me? If person A does something, fires a gun, and it causes harm or fear at officers a b and c they do not have the right to kill person b who did nothing that's brianna brianna was unarmed nonviolent broke no law had no gun committed no crime there were there was nothing she did she was completely innocent so in any situation if person a causes police to police a b and c to be afraid they don't then have the legal right to kill person b or c or d or f they only have the legal right to cause any harm or to use force against person a do you understand what i'm saying i'm saying legally that's not just ethics and morals when when someone causes the police to be afraid they do have legal privileges to cause harm to person a, but if person a scares these police, they don't have the right to harm person B. They do not. It is not legal. Brianna Taylor. Here's the thing. If you, it's not all adding up. Listen to me. If you saw Kenny with a gun, and believed that he shot you with that gun. And then you then fired between the three police officers. They fired 30 shots. How did they not hit Kenny? Why did six, at least six of those shots hit Brianna? If you knew it was Kenny, why did you shoot her? And obviously we now know that one of the officers shot at the apartment above them shot at the apartment to the left of them and to the right of them shot through a bedroom of Brianna's house. He was firing through the damn window. He wasn't even firing. He could have killed anybody. And he ended up being the only officer who was charged. Listen, when I met with the attorneys of Brianna Taylor's family and spoke, and I'm I'm good friends with the three lead attorneys in that case, Sam Aguilar, uh, Lenita Baker, Ben Crump. We believed that the bottom, the lowest charge that the officers who fired their bullets at Brianna, and at least two officers fired bullets at Brianna and hit her, that they should have at least been charged with reckless homicide. At the very least, she committed no crime. You do. Listen to me. If someone scares the police, they don't have the right to shoot someone else when they know it was person a who scared them. It's that way anywhere. Listen, if if someone breaks into your home and then you go out and start shooting at the person but you shoot another person and harm another person, you've committed a crime, even though you were defending your home. Now, it's not first, that, that crime that I just described of someone breaking into your home, that's not first degree murder. That wasn't premeditated. It's arguably not second degree murder, but it could arguably be, at the very least, reckless homicide. They were reckless when they shot Brianna. When we now know that they knew it was not her with a gun, they knew that it would not have been right for them to shoot Kenny, who was only defending his home and defending the love of his life. So this takes me to action step number two. Action step number one is this. And let me let me close the loop on that. I think the best way federal civil rights charges are going to be pressed against these officers is in a Biden Harris administration. My expectation is that Kamala Harris uh very much in the sense of like the George Bush administration where George Bush had Dick Cheney really run and manage certain arms of the government, uh Kamala Harris I think will oversee a lot of the work of the DOJ, not officially, but I think she'll be very involved there even in selecting who is the head of the DOJ. A lot of people believed that Kamala Harris, if she was not vice president, might have been picked as attorney general. And so I believe uh, that it is most likely that we will have federal civil rights charges against these officers if Joe Biden and Kamala Harris are elected. But we don't know if that's going to happen now. That's a whole nother episode. Uh, We don't know. Uh, we don't know not only who's going to win the election, but we don't even know if Donald Trump loses, if he's even willing to leave. And I had planned on talking a lot about that today, uh, about Trump's public refusal. It appears to even acknowledge a defeat. You may have seen the video where yesterday he openly said, uh, that he's not sure there would be a peaceful transfer of power. Thank you. Uh, Justin Proctor for taking these notes. The second, the second action step, the second option for accountability that we have is this, um, this case never should have been given to Kentucky's attorney general, Daniel Cameron. It never should have been given to him. In fact, when Brianna was murdered, that case, as all police brutality cases are, was given to the district attorney of Louisville. Are you aware of that? That when someone is killed by police in your city or in your county, for all of you who are here, who live in the United States, when someone is killed by police, that case does not go to the attorney general. It goes to your local prosecutor, your local district attorney. Now, The local district attorney in Louisville is a Democrat. The governor of Kentucky is a Democrat. The um, the mayor of Louisville is a Democrat. And so Democrats have a lot of accountability and responsibility here. It's I, I think in some ways, Attorney General Daniel Cameron is a bit of an easy scapegoat. He did fail the family. Let's be clear. He failed the family yesterday. But the case never should have been given to Daniel Cameron. And here's why, if you don't remember, here's a little refresher. The attorney, the district attorney of Louisville, Tom Wine, who I loathe. I don't know a single person that likes Tom Wine in Louisville, but they elected him. I mean, and I'm not here to critique Louisville. He was elected as district attorney. We have to be involved in these DA's races. He decided after Brianna was murdered, as you may know, he decided to arrest and prosecute Kenny, her boyfriend. And they really tried to frame Kenny as if he was uh, they charged Kenny with attempted murder on a police officer after they broke into his home with in plain clothes. He didn't know who they were. This is why no knock warrants are dangerous for everybody. They're dangerous for police and they're dangerous for everybody in the house. Many police officers have been killed in these no knock raids. More people in the homes have been killed. We, our uh, grassroots law project, we raised the money to get Kenny out of jail, and um, and then they finally dropped the charges against Kenny. But the district attorney of Louisville, here's what he said: my 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 mind is still blown by this foolishness. He said he he was going to recuse himself from the case, from Brianna's murder case because he still planned on the possibility of prosecuting Kenny and he could not prosecute Kenny and prosecute the police officers. So he decided to recuse himself from the case just in case he still wanted to prosecute Kenny. This is not conjecture. He said, I am not going to oversee the case against the police officers who killed Brianna. Well, Kentucky state law says that when a district attorney has to recuse himself or herself, the case then goes to the attorney general. And and Louisville's Democratic district attorney, Tom Wine, he knew. That when he recused himself, he knew the case would then go to the Republican AG. He did that. That was his decision. Like, this is why when I say police brutality is bipartisan. It is Democrats and Republicans failed this family. This wasn't just Trump. This wasn't just uh, uh, Kentucky Attorney General Daniel Cameron. That Democratic district attorney was literally one of the first Democrats to fail this family. Well, here's the action step. There are two or three ways that the district attorney's office of Louisville can still charge these officers. So this can be 2A, 2B, 2C for those of you who are taking notes. The district attorney of Louisville today could say, I am appointing a special prosecutor from my office to oversee this case. Here's why you can, let let me even go back a step. You you are probably familiar with the legal term double jeopardy. Double jeopardy is, it, it states that, When you are charged with a crime and then found not guilty for that crime, you can't be charged with that crime again. That's double jeopardy. You've already been found not guilty. Well, the two officers who shot Brianna, they weren't found not guilty. That case has not gone to court. So any the current district attorney, Tom Wine, if he said, you know what, I'm I am completely done with this case against Kenny. So I am tagging. I no longer need to be recused in this case. I'm tagging myself back in. Tom wine isn't, excuse my language is an asshole. He is a conservative Democrat. I very seriously doubt he would tag himself back in. He could say though, but I am appointing a special prosecutor. He could, and here's the better option. And this is maybe two C, if you will, we could begin demanding that Tom wine resign or step down. We could begin demanding that he resign or step down. And, and then we have to get into, well, who replaces, who becomes his successor and could a successor to Tom wine say, uh, this case never should have been recused from our office. And I am now charging these two officers with reckless homicide or all three officers with reckless homicide you would have the best argument against the two officers who shot Brianna neither of them were charged yesterday charging them with either manslaughter it could you could you could make an argument for second degree murder but i would argue that you would charge them with reckless homicide or manslaughter and i mean that's a that is a case that a good district attorney could win they were reckless Bottom line, I'm divorcing, I am attempting to divorce my emotions and my feelings for Brianna's family here. What the officers did in shooting and killing an unarmed, nonviolent woman who did nothing to them and broke no law, it was reckless, period. It wasn't just wrong, it was reckless. I would not have wanted them to shoot Kenny. That would have been wrong, but they would have had a legal justification for doing so. But you can't use your legal justification for shooting Kenny for shooting and killing her. She is a different person. They're not the same. Each of us, I'm not trying to be obtuse, but we all have different social security numbers, birth dates. We are not the same. She is not him. She is not responsible for him. She is her own human being. What happened there was reckless period point blank, dot com. It was at the bare minimum reckless homicide and Louisville's district. This is not a double jeopardy case. Those officers were not charged and found innocent or not guilty. These officers could still be charged. They could be charged by the current district attorney, by a replacement of the district attorney, or one of the things, this is probably point number three one of the things that we can begin doing now is is begin searching for the replacement of the current district attorney and preparing to campaign for that replacement in the next election. We can begin preparing who is going to be the replacement of Tom Wine in they. And here's the thing. There is not a statute of limitations for murder, not in Kentucky or anywhere else. It's one of the few crimes that does not have a statute of limitations. And so you can charge these officers in two years and five years and 10 years. And we need to begin putting in place the pieces to make sure that we either with the replacement of Tom Wine or in the next election that we elect someone who says, yes, I have reviewed the facts of this case and I fully damn intend On charging these officers, period. And we can do that. We can do that. We should do that. Now, fifth, uh, fourth rather, is a more macro point. Louisville did something beautiful, and I'm thankful for our team at the Grassroots Law Project and for activists and organizers locally there on the ground and and for Breonna Taylor's family and legal team who fought for this and for the bold city council members who sponsored this, Louisville already passed what they call Breonna's Law, banning no-knock warrants in the city, becoming only the second major city in America to have a complete ban on no-knock warrants. All those cities that you told me you're from, your city has a ban on no-knock. Your city, rather, does not have a ban on no-knock warrants. Almost every city in the country still allows them. They are, they are fundamentally racist. What I mean by that is they are only applied and used. They don't use them in wealthy zip codes. Where, wherever, wherever the wealthiest neighborhoods are in the city you're from, they don't do no-knock raids there. They don't break into people's homes at 1 a.m. or 2 a.m. in the middle of the night. They don't do that in the wealthy zip codes of your city and county. They don't do that. They rarely do no-knock raids. raids in the middle, no-knock raids are almost exclusively done in the middle of the night. Again, they're dangerous to the police officers, and they're dangerous to everybody in the house. I've seen uh, little kids like Ayana Jones, an 8-year-old girl who was murdered in a no-knock raid. I've seen grandparents, grandmothers, and grandfathers, other children, aunts, uncles. I've seen so many people killed in no-knock raids. And let me be clear. Even if you're doing a no-knock raid for any crime, it, it, even the person who perhaps, say, was guilty of that crime, they don't deserve to be killed in a no-knock raid. Say, say there were ho- drugs in a home. People don't deserve to be killed over that. They deserve due process. No-knock raids are violent and dangerous, and they're almost exclusively used in zip codes that police officers don't live in. Louisville, which has Democrats and Republicans on their city council, a bipartisan city council, voted unanimously to ban them. It blew my mind. I thought it might go down party lines. Every single person on their city council said, "Now we're done with this. That no-knock raid I don't want to say it's destroyed Louisville because Louisville is still here, but it has turned this city upside down. It, 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 they are so ugly and so dangerous and banning no-knock raids won't bring, when we talk about justice, it won't bring Brianna back, but it will prevent some future people from being killed in that same way. Does it stop all police brutality? No, but stop thinking of it like this. If a solution doesn't solve all of the problems, it doesn't mean it's still not good for the one problem it solves. We should all be fighting to ban no-knock warrants to pass what we call Brianna's law in your city. And we want that. I want to support that. I want me and all of you, I'm looking at your names and comments right now. I want all of us to be fighting for this together in your city. Tell me the cities that you're from again. I want us to do that in your town. I want your city council to pick that up. We can do that. And I will say last. In, in the end, we. this is my fifth and final point we have to com- Yes. In all of these cities in San Diego and Merced and West Palm beach and Nashville, Oklahoma city, Portland, Spokane, Vancouver, Baltimore, Kansas city, damn And sure in Patterson, Inglewood, Milwaukee, Las Vegas, deep in Mississippi and Arlington in San Rafael, Orlando, all of these cities in Trenton and champagne and Riverside and Oakland, in Baton Rouge, we need to ban no knock one. You need to, you need to begin fighting. Now I, I can support you, but all of you who are listing your cities in Cleveland and Atlanta and St. Louis, I can support you. But if you want Brianna's law to pass in your city, you're going to have to lead that fight. And what I know is the passing of Brianna's law in Louisville gave Brianna's mother a great deal of pride and peace and that's something worth fighting for and here's my fifth and final point we have to radically reimagine public safety drugs need to be treated with treatment mental health needs to be treated with treatment we So many things are getting police sent to homes for mental health, for drugs and other issues when police don't even need to be there. Literally, we need to radically change how we approach homelessness. Yesterday in San Clemente, you will see on my Instagram timeline in San Clemente, California, police shot and killed a homeless a black man who people said was legally blind and he was unarmed. And really just because they were policing him, this man needed medical assistance, help, support. Instead, officers with guns began wrestling with him and putting their hands all over him. And he hated it. He kept saying, please, please get your hands off of me. And if you've never worked, with unhoused, homeless men, women, and children, often they are very protective of their physical boundaries because, in in some ways, everything they have is their body. They have no home. They often have very few possessions. They do not like to be touched unless they offer it. I've I've had this uh, I, this experience. I've I've worked. At homeless shelters, I've interacted with homeless men, women, and children my entire life. They're very protective of their personal space and boundaries, but armed police officers don't need to be the first responders to a homeless crisis. There are trained people who can do that. Have you seen the 13 year old boy who had autism? Who was shot a dozen times by police? That boy needed a damn nurse and was shot a dozen times in the back. He is still in the hospital. A white child. We need to radically reimagine policing so that we have, if right now in our country, there are tens of millions of interactions over the course of a year of police with people that number needs to come down and down and down. Police only need to be interacting with someone homeless. When there is a grave risk of violence, only need to be interacting with someone having a mental health crisis. When there is some grave risk of violence, otherwise send a trained medical team there because doctors and sometimes little bitty nurses handle this stuff every day in hospitals. Sometimes people need medicine. They need treatment. So we need to take those number of interactions with police way down. When, you, when The murder of Walter Scott came to mind. Walter Scott had back due child support. Have a social worker visit that man. Have a trained, compassionate social worker visit Walter Scott and say, Walter, Can we have a frank conversation about this? Don't send a police officer to this man. That doesn't deserve a police interaction. Period. We need to drastically reimagine the war on drugs, the mental health crisis, police in schools. All of that stuff needs to be reimagined from the top down. Yeah, listen, you know, Peg says, send me right. Any of us would be so much better. We have to reimagine public safety and policing listen, I have gotten almost to the very end of my time um, because we have uh, something we have to do with our kids I wanted to be able to unpack the things we there is still a path to accountability here I have a few people that I want to thank and I may be able to take just a couple of your questions all right break it down break, 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 break. Brandon Janice and I'm the host of Sick Empire, a brand new podcast brought to you by the North Star. On Sick Empire, I interview New Yorkers who, in different ways, fight on the front lines for change in the city during the coronavirus pandemic. Please listen to hear a unique mix of stories from essential workers, small business owners, artists, and elected officials who are all experiencing the chaos of COVID in their own ways. Listen to Sick Empire on all streaming platforms and you can support the show and any of our other podcasts by heading over to the northstar.com and becoming a member